Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is AppSats Radio, help for partners after sexual betrayal. We talk about it here. Betrayal trauma. We are AppSats certified clinical partner specialists and coaches who have been trained to help navigate you through this crisis. There is nothing we won't talk about. Sometimes listeners want to know about triggers. I was dealing with the aftermath of my husband's affairs, and he still works the same job that he did when he was acting out. It's a job that allows him to hide his goings-on and one that he stated was the previous trigger for his acting out. The whole 16 and a half years we've been together, he's acted out. In the beginning, what I thought it was was just pornography. Um, It ended up being, I found out two and a half years ago, he had been with multiple prostitutes. I only found out a very small portion of that until about a month ago. How do you cope with all of that when you still have to deal with unavoidable triggers? Well, of course you would feel traumatized by hearing all that information. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, that's a staggered disclosure. That's finding out little bits and pieces about your husband's behavior throughout a time period, making you feel insecure, unsure, and unsafe. So what we got to do is set up a situation whereby you get with a specialist to do a formal disclosure so you can hear everything at one time in a safe environment. Hi there, I'm Carol the Coach. Carol Jurgensen Sheets, that is, and I am an APSATS clinician and coach. And I'm hosting this show because APSATS is the premier partner-sensitive radio show that helps with betrayal trauma. And what I believe is that what you have experienced, whether you're a newbie, whether you've been dealing with this for a decade or two, or whether you've had a whole lifetime. What I believe is you need a specialist that knows your trauma. And trauma is so important in understanding because so many of your reactions have to do with trauma. It really, really is what you're dealing with. Your brain's gone offline. You're experiencing unbelievable symptoms, you know, whether that's tremor, panic, rage, anger. It, it is so difficult to navigate. And then triggers occur, and there you go, feeling rage, panic, tremors. I mean, I've even worked with a woman who had am, global amnesic uh, disorder. And when she found out for the second time that her husband had been cheating for years, her body took over and said, no more. And she literally was sitting in the morning at the kitchen table, one minute feeling fine, and the next minute she didn't know him. She didn't know whose kitchen she was in. It was such a scary experience. And so I want to tell you, 
it is so important for you, so important for you to have good intentional care and to have a specialist that can help you through this trauma. And if you're not traumatized, you might be one of the few that aren't. It's at least a drama. It is something you never thought would happen. Now, today we're going to be talking about the landscape of how the pandemic has changed our lives, especially if we're dealing with sexual addiction or partner betrayal. And, you know, it's just been a little over a year that we've been dealing with our lives changing so drastically. And in some ways, it's been very positive. It's, it's helped all of us determine what our real values are about. And for others, it's been a nightmare. You know, if there's been a lot of tension and stress in your relationship, you've had more of it if either one of you happen to be working at home. And while we all know that technology can be the best thing that ever happened to us, it also has been, can be, and will be the source of many people's pain. It's a part of my pain because I'm watching my clients, the sex addicts I'm working with, they are not liking Zoom. They are not liking telehealth. They want to be back face-to-face in the meeting with their brothers. And they're not getting that. Now, the good news is that it's certainly brought telehealth and mental health and coaching into the houses of so many more people. You know I have two podcasts, and so I have been doing podcasts since 2007, and I have to say, I think a lot of people know who Carol the Coach is, bragging, I'm just saying. And so I have been doing telehealth um, as a coach for years and years and years. I've been on the Zoom platform, and I've been doing phone coaching, and I've been doing FaceTiming. I mean, that's how I roll. But I also love the experience of working with an addict or a partner face-to-face. And although I have a strict rule, I only break it for two people, of not hugging sex addicts, um, I hug most of my partners every single session. I don't know if I'm doing it for them or me, but I feel the need to hug them to kind of give them a good old solid bear hug and and say, we are in this to win this, and I'm on your team. So the truth of the matter is to not be able to do that as frequently, you know, I'm still in my office if I want to be, but people are not ready to come back yet. The pandemic has changed the landscape of so many things, and there is a pervasive fear that unfortunately is um, prevalent even today with people having their vaccines and and getting back to normal, if you will, right? So I really want, want to tell you that my heart goes out to you if you've been facing isolation and stressors that 
had derailed or at least escalated your fears about his addiction and trauma. Recovery in the post-pandemic world takes new levels of commitment. It really does. And yet I really have seen a lot of people deepen their relationships with their families. Now, this afternoon, I am going to be interviewing Faith Meese, and she works with partners and families to navigate through the trauma of sex addiction and partner betrayal while in this pandemic. So I am so happy to have her on today. Uh, We're going to be talking about COVID. We're going to be talking about the good and the bad. And I want you to think about how this applies to your life. What, what sorts of things do you need to reframe? You know, that's such an important coaching principle. Reframing is when you take a bad situation, say to yourself, how have I gotten stronger and what has it, what has it taught me? And I certainly know that it has taught us a lot. The pandemic although very, very difficult, has taught us a lot about ourselves, a lot about our families, and a lot about human nature. And there's been some good and some bad that's come out of that. So we're going to be talking to our expert, Faith Neese, and she's really going to be talking about that pandemic landscape and how it's changed everything. So Faith, welcome to Betrayal Recovery Radio. How are you? I'm good, Carol. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well, too. I was just telling our listening audience that, you know, there is good and bad as a result of this pandemic. And and I, I know that one of the good things is that it has brought mental health and coaching into the homes of so many people. So, So I want to ask you, first and foremost, What have you noticed about our clients, your clients, um, since COVID began? Are you there? Yeah, here we go. I'm so sorry. I think my service cut out. No problem. Yeah, what have you noticed most? Yeah, what have you noticed most, first and foremost, about how the pandemic has changed everything? Well, I think you're spot on about the that it's brought mental health and therapy and coaching into our homes. You know, we've gone from such a drastic change of being able to go out into public, go out into society and, and visit people one-on-one. And I'm here in isolation and quarantine. Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and it's I think it's put people in a position where they've had to really grow and and have that resilience to be adaptive, um, either learning technology or learning how to manage having kids at home while also working and and therapy I think has become integrated to the people who I see who are really resilient to the to the pandemic they've incorporated therapy into their lives in this technological way. And it has become very helpful as a family unit. Um, So while it used to be very separate, you know, you might have your partner or your kids in the background of your therapy sessions or 
we're seeing into each other's homes and there is an intimacy that has been created through this pandemic and it be and it kind of forcing us to be at home during our therapy during our work um but i think for some that can be very healing and for others that's brought up so many triggers um and so many difficulties of how do we manage the stress or the intensity of being isolated well, no kidding. And you just mentioned some of the ways, but I want to ask you, what issues do you think that people in recovery face amidst social distancing and quarantine and all the other drastic changes in their lives? I mean, I think we know this about general, especially for myself and the other therapists at our practice is that change you know um we let, we do best in recovery when we have structure and there's has suddenly become a, a kind of lack of structure and we've had to create that for ourselves so people in recovery have had to kind of make their own um structured routine amidst this like drastic change everything was one way and kind of suddenly for all of us it became a different way I think another thing that's that's been a struggle for partners and um, and addicts who are early on in their healing process, they kind of went from having space from each other to trying to figure out how do we coexist with each other 24/7. You know, and um, it's already such a difficult time in the beginning of a recovery period when we're trying to relearn what our relationship is to look like, and then amidst that, we also now have to be living with each other in close quarters for extended periods of time. Um, so I think figuring out what our boundaries are, figuring out what our structure is going to be, giving ourselves routine. Also, in some ways, while it has eliminated barriers to recovery by being able to use telehealth, it also can be a way to have excuses to, you know, maybe I don't want to attend my group. Maybe I don't want to attend individual session because I just don't want to go through, you know, having to manage the householder. I'm, I'm so inactive that my, there's loneliness or depression that has kicked in that is creating more barriers to recovery. So I think it depends on um, the person and their support network and also their willingness to be committed to their process. Well, absolutely. I just met with a man this week who is a sex addict, and he has had trouble. He's had a lot of slippery slope behaviors um, his entire treatment with me. But I got to tell right. you, what I appreciate so much about him is that he has also been able to um, finally get sick and tired of being sick and tired. He got on the scale and he had gained 45 pounds. And he said, that's it. I am going to pay attention to my body. I'm going to work a better recovery program. He got this uh, wonderful app called the Recovery Path, which just absolutely identifies emotions, what he needs to work on, what he needs to work on relationally. I mean, a lots and lots of really good things. And then it was that 45-pound weight gain because of COVID that then made him say, and Carol, I went to my wife, we'll call her Susie, I went to Susie last night and I said, you deserve a disclosure. And, you know, you said you wanted one, but you never asked again. And I asked you a couple times and you weren't really biting, but he goes, now I'm taking the bull by the horn. 
We are going to have a disclosure with Carol. I am going to get polygraphed, and I am going to get my act together. And I thought, wow, I don't know that that would have happened if it weren't for the fact that he felt so immobilized by COVID and so stuck by being the person he really didn't like anymore. Can you understand why you feel that way, Faith? Of course, and I think that is kind of what I was alluding into to in the beginning. This isolation and quarantine has put us in a position to really look at ourselves and ask ourselves, is this the life that I want to be having? Um, and so for the people that I've been working with that are already in recovery, a lot of them are, have had such similar experiences as yours, Carol, where like they've really taken initiative in their lives and have said outright the couples or the, the sex addicts in recovery or the that I work with have all really taken the opportunity to deepen their growth in their work. There's no more distractions outside of the home in some ways. Um, and so it's like, okay, am I happy with the life that I'm living because I'm stuck in it right now? And when we're sometimes being confronted with that in our I want, and if it's, can I do about it? Um, I think where I see um, – people having a harder time is if they haven't already sought recovery, I see people mm-hmm. hitting their bottoms much faster. You know, the people that I maybe haven't had the opportunity to be in recovery yet or have not engaged in a recovery process exacerbated the symptoms. And I think really what I see that we're looking at is that difference between post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic stress. And how do I deal with a a pretty traumatic event for most of us involved? I mean, if not all of us, we're dealing with a complexity of dynamics, the isolation, the grief, the fear, the stress, the financial burden. I mean, if we look at the layers of pressure that all of us have been put under, the person in recovery or who is using addiction in order to cope with their difficult feelings and difficult emotions, this is a perfect event to think that that is um, one of those areas that we're, we're just beginning to scratch the iceberg on, on how, how much impact that has had. But I think the hope is, is that the people who have already been in recovery have grown so much throughout this time that the people who are now seeking help, we're going to be more able to provide them excellent services. Um, whether they have to quarantine or they're able to do it in person because of the vaccine, we have a lot more experience at this point, and I think we will continue to see um, the results of research in these areas that we're going to see a lot of post-traumatic resiliency or post-traumatic growth, and how can that be applied to the people who might not be in that process yet, but maybe coming to our doors. Yes, you sound so helpful, you know, and hopeful. And and what tools do you think clients are actually having to build into their lives in order to be resilient in their recovery at this time? Um, I mean, one is, I think, overcoming that initial, I think a lot of us went through at the beginning of last year. There was this initially for the first couple, it just was a holding pattern. We thought, well, maybe it'll be mm-hmm. done sometime soon. And then, you know, here we are almost over a year later. And so in the beginning, it's like, okay, well, it's like, I'll just sit back. I'll the time, you know, it's fine. Have a little bit of fun. 
realized a new life for myself. And I think a lot of that has been utilizing um, resources that people have put online, either online groups, um, online 12-step, even online exercise classes. We, I think at the beginning of the pandemic more so, we saw this big push to go out into nature because it was the only place that we really had safety aside from inside of our homes. So I could be outside, away from people, but in nature and experiencing that without being exposed. And, and I think that that is also in addition to their online activities. Um, and, and being creative, like having art projects, you know, having new hobbies, having to explore themselves in new ways. Um, and I think that what that alludes to is that idea of, you know, an outer circle healthy behavior that we build in recovery that keeps us in recovery. And, and whether it's for an addict or a partner, the more, the more of those green light or healthy outer circle behaviors we have, the, the more quickly we're going to come from those slippery, slippery slope behaviors back into our recovery principles. And when yeah. we're so limited on, on what we can do, we have to get creative and we're building. I, that's what I see is that a lot of people are building those healthy outer circle without realizing that's what they're doing. Well, and I just want to remind our listening audience, I'm talking with Faith Meese, who is part of Lionhearted Counseling. That is www.lionhearted.com heartedcounseling.com and Faith you know I understand what you mean by out of circle behaviors but we may have listeners that are just being exposed for the first time to their husband or wife's sex addiction and so will you explain the three circles and what out of circle uh, you know the out out of circle behaviors are You are probably talking, but it says that you've dropped, so I have a feeling you're coming back in. I'm going to explain what they are. You know, a sex addict has, typically he, he draws three circles, and in that inner circle, he, those are his deal-breaking behaviors. Those are the behaviors that caused him so much damage, that has caused a partner so much fear you know, they may be prostitution or um, pornography or massage parlors or web chatting. They are absolutely considered deal-breaking because they are the behaviors that he has to eliminate out of his life. Now, the middle circle are those slippery slope um, situations and behaviors. You know, it may be going to the beach and watching a woman in a bikini more than that one second that uh, can take him into fantasy. It may be watching a rated R movie because, okay, it's not rated X, but it has sex scenes in it, and that's going to get him going. Things that he may participate in but can take him right into deal-breaking behaviors because once that reward center is lit up in the brain, sex addiction is a brain science problem. And so that is the middle circle. And then obviously Faith, who has joined us again, was talking about those outer circle behaviors. And those are the healthy behaviors, the behaviors that we want to increase in our lives. And we certainly want sex addicts to do that because 
as he's shutting down those neural pathways to sex addiction, he needs to create some new neural pathways that have to do with positive, healthy lifestyle choices. And, and can, you, can you give us space some idea as to what some of those might be during the pandemic? I'm sorry, Carol. Yeah, you're having trouble, aren't you? You're breaking up. Yeah, I have full bars, but I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going to make sure my Wi-Fi is turned off. Maybe that's okay. interrupting it. But we ask that question again for me. I sure will. I want you to know you've been fading in and out, but you've been fading out minimally, so we could we could understand what you were saying. But it's been happening about every minute and a half. So I'm, I'm glad you're going to turn that Wi-Fi off. And, and what I had asked you is, you know, you Absolutely talked about how people were in nature and they were, they were doing as many healthy things as they could throughout this pandemic. And, and you started saying that you wanted couples and families to increase those outer circle behaviors. So based on your experience, what are some more of those outer circle behaviors? Um, I think engaging in intimate, like true intimacy for couples has been a big part. And I don't mean physical intimacy as much as the emotional intimacy. You know, we're going through a shared experience together. So are we discussing us or are we compartmentalizing with our partner still um, or let's be supported and be supportive of each other in the family seeing couples in recovery start to engage in more because there's been an, it, kind of an equaling out where we used to all leave the home we're all in this together so there has to be more communication even around chores or um, what responsibilities each of the partners wants to have or how to manage being virtual for work. There's a lot more cooperation, hopefully, that, <laughs> that I see them, my clients at least, are working more on those cooperative skills as well as that intimacy of being truly open and vulnerable with what, what they're experiencing with each other. And what I, what's interesting is as we start to come out of the pandemic and we're starting to go back into a little bit of, what I would call quote unquote real life. Um, I've noticed partners having a harder time. You know, there's, there was the sense of um, safety or security having their addicted partner at home all the time. And now we're going back to another adjustment. So I think for partners, there's this mindfulness of communicating with their partner if it's safe for them about how it is for them to be going back out into the work world or going back out in, into the office and, um, and being able to create that level of intimacy where I'm sharing the impact of this change with my partner and, but not putting it on them that they necessarily need to do different because we are going to be seeing ourselves integrating back into um, work and social spaces and, and how do we come out of the bubble in a way, in a way that's safe and still connected. Well, those are all really, really good points. And, from one professional to another, what is, what do you think about telehealth? Do you think that you can do as effective psychotherapy or coaching in front of a screen as you could in the office? So 
I'll say 90% yes. That's been my experience. I, as a practice, we used telehealth prior to the pandemic to, you know, stay in touch with um, clients who came in out of town for an intensive, in-person intensive. We would follow up with telehealth. And what my experience has been during the pandemic is that about 90% of the therapeutic work that I've been able to do with this, we're able to do over telehealth. Um, and I've spoken with other professionals who are also able to a, to a very healthy depth. Um, I think that there are some times where it's just not appropriate. You know, uh, there's certain emotional catharsis that I would prefer that we go into in person just because of, you know, the, the safety of having that one-on-one connection. Um, I, but to 90%, yes. And I would say 90% effective is, is still highly effective. And more so than what I think, I think it's what I see my clients experiencing, which is that they're still having profound growth and profound change and feeling supported and feeling like telehealth works for them. Um, and in, in my opinion, the client report is more important sometimes than my report, and, and I've gotten very positive feedback. I think it's just about knowing, for me as a professional, the depth that I'm comfortable going with a client when I'm not in the room with them. Well, you're so right. As a matter of fact, you know, when we talk with partners who are really needing that disclosure, I mean, the truth of the matter is we will give her a disclosure if she doesn't feel safe enough to come into the office. But that's one of those events that if you can do face-to-face, if you can do in the office with your support person, it makes a big difference, at least in my sense of safety um, for her and actually for the process itself. So I agree with you. There are certain things that maybe require uh, more face-to-face than others, but I also believe that you can definitely do effective psychotherapy uh, with somebody as long as both people are really focused on each other. And I never would have thought mm-hmm. you could do couples therapy, uh, couples coaching, and I find it to be very effective too. I have them turn around and go knees to knees and look at each other, and they get very, very engaged and focused. Now, yeah, I like you to couples work with telehealth. Sorry, yeah, you've Carol, done couples you Yeah, I wanted to know what your population of people were that you worked with. So we work with a diverse population. I personally see individuals as well as couples, um, partners, or the the addict themselves, although I tend to have more addicts on my caseload. Um, Other therapists in our practice have more partners or tend to have more partners, um, but we're pretty equally balanced. I think the thing that I've seen with couples is that it takes the therapist very much out of the process, which is always something for me as a couples therapist I'm trying to do. You know, I'm not, I'm teaching them how to have a relationship, not them have a relationship through me. And what I've liked about telehealth is it really takes me out of the picture. It's much harder for them to triangulate me. And they're, they're really doing this deep connective work with each other and there's not the distraction of my actual physical presence in the room. And I, I think that that was something I wasn't expecting um, because that uh, same as you, Carol, I hadn't done a lot of couples over telehealth more individual than anything. And I've been really pleasantly surprised by the results. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point. And so I know that 
there have been a lot of drastic changes for a lot of folks. And you've, you've talked about some of the pros and some of the cons. What do you think? What do you think is the impact on the future of therapy and treatment now that we've experienced a pandemic and now that so many people are much more comfortable with telehealth? Um, I think there's a lot that goes into that. First and foremost, as a professional, my my focus would be there needs to be more of a nationalized, like a national um, standard for licensure, uh, just because the state to state, the difference of of um, borders and licensure requirements has made in place for state to state if somebody had to go back to a primary residence that was out of our state. Um, there's still that, that need for, you know, consistency among licensing so that therapists or coaches are not hitting any kind of ethical or illegal issues in that way, um, more to protect the, the consistency of the profession um, and the clients that, that would seek help with the professional. So that's my, as a professional, that's one of the things that sticks out that, it, that we need to look to in the future. For clients themselves, I think similar to how clients have had to get creative, we as therapists have had to get creative with how to provide our clients services. And it might be about doing a hybrid model of some telehealth, some in-person, um, or utilizing, you know, teletherapy as a primary means, whereas adjunctively we do an, uh, in-person once every few months, you know, being very fluid and, and being able to integrate these two modalities together as we start to look into the future, because I think that more than ever, more of us have seen that because it's effective for people to get services with APSAT and CSAT certifications, um, especially there's, there's not a lot of therapists that are certified to, to treat this type of specialty in areas or a lot of access it all of a sudden opens up this whole wide world of professionals who are trained to help them with exactly what they've been struggling with for months or years and I think that that's a very helpful frontier is that um, those who have not been able to get recovery or, or to have their own partner recovery in this process they'll be able to have access to that and it, that's a very hopeful thing in my mind um, but um, there's more you're breaking up again your things I think are going to evolve more we're also going to have to see as people become more aware of mental health how for people to seek services like there are so many 12-step groups at this point online there are so many even anxiety or depression support groups online how are we making sure that people are easily finding and having access to these resources as we continue to grow in that way and I don't know I'm very excited to to see also how treatment in general is going to maybe adapt or grow there have been some virtual um, full intensives and I think that that's a really exciting landscape that we can continue to grow in as a profession, um, being able to provide to much more of a population who are able to do just one-on-one -on -one in person. Well, you're exactly right. And it certainly makes continuing education a, a, a much 
um, less expensive process when you're doing it in your own office as opposed to flying all over the country or maybe even in the world to meet with some of the best. Uh, That being said, I would spend that extra money because I like people and I like to be around them. And, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this state, but I am telling you that there are some people that they never stop face-to-face. I allowed them to maintain face-to-face because I have a big enough office that we could be six feet apart, wear our masks, and be very, very safe. And they would not touch telehealth or FaceTime or phone coaching with a 10-foot pole. They had to have that human contact. So, you know, different strokes for different folks. And I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up this topic because truly the pandemic has drastically changed the landscape of both mental health and the recovery process for addicts and partners and their families. Um, so I just thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add um, that you believe would be helpful for our listening audience, which includes coaches, clinicians, and of course partners and addicts? Well, she just dropped again, so that is why I'm going to end the show early. Um, I know that was tough. And at the same time, she did have a lot of great information. You can tell she's an amazing therapist, right? And you can see that she just has done her due diligence to understand uh, how the pandemic has changed everything. You know, that was the title of today's show, the pandemic has changed everything, or has it? And the truth of the matter is that it's changed it. Some would say for the, for the better. Some would say for the worse. And isn't that just like life? You know, it is our responsibility to be resilient and figure out how we're better no matter what has happened to us. And so, Faith, I think you share that with me, don't you, that, that philosophy Absolutely. And I think it's, it's also when we feel like everything is happening to us, we don't have that autonomy in our lives to seek recovery, you know. And so that resilience is that despite what's going on, I can make choices to better myself and my life regardless of the outside circumstances or that we don't have or difficulties that need to be healed, but that the healing, I have the power to heal in my hands and in my heart, and with the right professional, that guidance will get me there. Mm, Very well said. Thank you again for a phenomenal show and, and for helping people, reminding people to look at this and ask themselves overall, you know, what you appreciate appreciates, and so let's focus on all the benefits it's afforded us as opposed to the problems, the differences, the challenges, and the changes. Thanks again, Dave. You've been great. Thank you so much, Carol, and thank you for the patience with my technical difficulties. Okay. You take care and have a good one. <laughs> all right. So. We will see you next week for Betrayal Recovery Radio. And I am, 
I may have to try a different platform. And so I'm going to commit to taking a look at a couple of different platforms so that they have phone issues. It won't affect the show. Uh, I just really appreciated what Faith had to say. And again, uh, you can reach her at www.myunheartedcounseling.com. Make it a good week. And as I always say, even through COVID, fearlessly have the power to be yourself. Talk to you later.